0: Archiver is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council and is a member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. We start this episode with a clip from the film The Only Good Indian, directed by Kevin Wilmot, a good friend of this podcast. It's about Haskell Institute in Lawrence when it was a boarding school for American Indians. Tens of thousands of school-age Indians were forced into these boarding schools all across the country, many times kidnapped by soldiers or police. Many kids would naturally run away from such semi-imprisonment. In this scene, the actor Wes Studi, who we'll hear from a little bit later, is a bounty hunter. The runaway boy is played by Winter Fox Frank. The dialogue is disturbing. You
1: know, I don't understand those people back there. Trying to get by without the white man? You saw what it got him. I'm going home. Home? (laughs) Oh, Haskell Industrial Institute. That's your home, boy. You little red niggers always get caught. They could just give it up. Give up? Damn right, give it up. Read this, boy. Sam. Damn right, Sam. Sam goddamn Franklin, that's me. I own it. All of it. That motorcycle, these clothes, these guns, all of it. White man things. Yeah, right. Well, let's see what you got, boy. That's what you got, boy. <laughs> So listen boy, Sam Franklin is going to be the best white man he can be. I'm going to out-white man the goddamn white man. And I'm going to take you back to that school so you can be one too. And if you're lucky, you just might enjoy a life like mine.
0: They would cut their hair, forbid their native language, force them to be Christians, And when they ran away, armed bounty hunters, like the Studi character, would chase them. How could any of this be good? I have to admit up front that I started out on this story about Haskell and Indian boarding schools absolutely sure how I was going to tell it. But I ended up in a very different place. And it's a place that I'm not totally comfortable with. The podcast is Archiver. The episode, Out White Manning the White Man. Me, I'm your host, Sam Zeff. So, The Only Good Indian tells the story of the worst part of Indian boarding schools. The schools, surprisingly to me, operated until the 1970s, albeit much differently, as we'll see, than when they were first created. The whole movement starts with a Civil War veteran named Richard Henry Pratt, whose philosophy was based on this, kill the Indian, save the man. Pratt was a leader in what was known as the Friends of the Indian Movement, and while kill the Indian, save the man certainly doesn't sound friendly or supportive or even humane, it was far better than General Philip Sheridan's notion that the only good Indians he ever saw were dead— something that he claimed in all fairness that he never said, but the phrase nonetheless has lived through time. Still, the kidnapping and forced assimilation at Haskell and other boarding schools was repugnant to me. Archiver historian Virgil Dean, certainly no apologist for these institutions, was the first one to suggest that there may have been some virtue to these schools.
2: Well, in the early part of the 19th century, as the United States expanded west, The policy had been removal of Indians from the East or uh, geographic isolation, geographic removal. And then, of course, concentrating uh, them on Indian reservations, that kind of thing. Let me just stop
0: you there. Not just concentration, but, I mean, there were those who would have advocated genocide,
2: yes? Yeah, and and to to some extent, you can argue, certainly, make a case for the idea that there was a genocide uh, committed against uh, American Indians throughout this period. Uh, and so, by the late 19th century, they had been removed from places that that uh, Euro-Americans wanted to settle. Uh, Kansas, of course, was a big part of that. Kansas uh, territory was created out of what had been Indian territory, Indian part of Indian country. So, Indians, Indian removal was a, a part of Kansas history from the very beginning. And there's a lot of a lot of the conflict over land in Kansas in the 1850s and 60s has to do with, you know, is this, you know, getting title to land that had been or still was perhaps uh, legally held by Native tribes. Towards the end of the century, you have a lot of people looking for other solutions to the so-called Indian problem. And many reformers at the time thought education was the thing, and the the concept of kill the Indian to save the man became a a theme for that movement, which sounds really cruel, (laughs) and uh, it it, it probably should be looked and viewed that way, but it wasn't necessarily thought of as in a negative sense by those people who advocated it, who thought, well, you know, the two cultures can't live side by side if Indians are going to get ahead in America. They need to learn to be, basically learn to be white men. And so by by 1883-84 when Haskell uh, Institute is established, um, that is the underlying principle. And the idea is to bring Indian children, young people in from all over the country to live there and literally uh, change them uh, to make them more uh, able to achieve in a white society.
0: Here's another scene from The Only Good Indian. It's near the start of the movie. The Haskell superintendent is laying down the law for the new arrivals. It's hard to listen to, at least it was for me.
3: This is not a prison. There are no walls, no fences, but there is a clock. The clock is here to provide order and discipline. The white man uses time to manage the world.
2: A. A.
1: B. B. C. C. D. D.
3: D. Remember, you are required by law to be here.
2: Your name
3: is Charlie.
2: Your name is now Charlie.
3: You will learn to respect time, to always be on time, and to finish your work in a timely manner.
2: I have some good news. You are going to be Methodist.
3: And taking leave of this institution is strictly forbidden. Should you wander astray once you are returned, Hold scale. your transgression will be dealt with in a swift and decisive manner, with punishment met out accordingly. You are here for one reason to acquire a proper education. Never. Should we hear your tribal language spoken in the halls of this institution? I know that many of you are homesick. Sometimes parents come requesting your return. You will remain here until you have received your authorized training.
0: Were kids beaten? Yes. Psychologically abused? Yes. Sexually abused? Yes to that too. And it's not like the government didn't know. In 1928, something called the Merriam Report was issued. Here's what it said about Indian boarding schools. The survey staff finds itself obligated to say frankly and unequivocally that the provisions for care of the Indian children in boarding schools are grossly inadequate. But these boarding schools were about to change. So, Haskell opened as a boarding school in 1884, seven years after Richard Henry Pratt opened the Carlisle School in Pennsylvania. Carlisle was made famous, of course, by Jim Thorpe, perhaps the best American athlete ever. But it was right about the time of the Merriam Report that things began to change, slowly, but change nonetheless. In 1926, Haskell dedicated its football stadium, and 8,000 Indians from across the country came. Some drove, many took the train, some even walked. Haskell won its first football game in its new stadium. They beat Bucknell 36 to nothing, and things at Haskell seem to be getting better from there. To know for sure, I went to the man who studied all of this. Eric
4: Anderson. I'm a
0: faculty member
4: in the Indigenous and American Indian Studies program at Haskell Indian Nations University.
0: Anderson is an enrolled member of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation and chair of the Indigenous and American Studies Department at Haskell University. I have to say it's it's uncomfortable for me to even think that a boarding school com- concept is at all good. And so why am I uncomfortable why am I uncomfortable with that do you think?
4: Well I think we should be uncomfortable with it. Uh, the, this the boarding schools while they do represent and I'm speaking specifically to these off-reservation boarding schools um, like Carlisle like Haskell and the Salem School and Sherman Institute and others, we should be uncomfortable with that because it was a matter of saying Western culture is better and uh, we don't have a a place in American society for American Indian cultures. Uh, They are inferior. So it reflects an older kind of thinking of there's a perceived Indian problem to be solved and this is just one more... um, Perceived solution to that, so
0: and perceived progressive at the time, Mm -hmm. right?
4: Well, right. I think. I mean, whether the problem is being uh, the perceived problems being worked on by you know military people or bureaucratic functionaries who have in mind we're going to run a system of schools, it, it doesn't change the fact that they are. Not seeing anything positive within Indian cultures themselves. I guess what I was thinking that you know, it should make us uncomfortable uh, about is that, yeah, it was, it was wrong-headed, even if it was perhaps a kinder, gentler type of genocide. Um, it's cultural genocide, it's ethnocide, so we should be uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But there are some positives. Um, they are perhaps harder to see sometimes, but I, I believe you're right. A lot of people's memories of boarding schools do focus on the positive things, whether they got uh, you know a trade uh, that they learned out of the um, the education, whether um, it was a place where... You know, people from different tribes came together and began to see uh, a common kind of history, uh, and that they could find strength in um, their own diversity um, and their own identity as American Indians outside of or beyond their distinct tribal identities, or whether it was a place where sweethearts met and married and, you know, went on to have their own kids who they then sent to Haskell as part of a a growing American Indian experience.
0: It's a growing American Indian experience because by the time Haskell was dedicating its stadium, Indians were slowly taking more control of these institutions. So my research was clear. There were, in fact, some redeeming things that came out of the Indian boarding schools. But I didn't really begin to feel it until we made this phone call. Hello? Wes? Yeah. Hi, Sam Zeff in Kansas City. Hey, Sam. Thanks ever so much for, uh, for agreeing to, uh, to chat with me. I certainly appreciate it. Sure. That's the actor Wes Studi, who you heard at the top of this episode playing the Indian bounty hunter in The Only Good Indian. Studi is Cherokee, acted in Dances with Wolves, played Geronimo in Geronimo, an American legend, and was an avatar in 2009. Studi was an activist. He was at Wounded Knee, South Dakota in 1973 when it was occupied by the American Indian movement. But Studi is also a graduate of an Oklahoma Indian boarding school. Okay, well, in
5: 1960, I actually wanted to go to Chilocco, to an Indian school where uh, my dad had gone. The reason was that, uh, you know, he had some good stories to tell of having been there, about, uh, you know, making friends and, you know, the usual uh, high school experience and uh, that had been uh, you know probably 20 years before the time that i went now by the time i went a lot of indian uh, people had uh, gotten uh, jobs as different kind of uh, uh, administrators as well as people who dealt uh, directly with the students in the dorms and in the in the uh, classrooms and uh, it wasn't such a authoritarian it wasn't as bad as you would, as as the kind of stories you hear. So uh, I hate to bust your bubble, but it just wasn't a matter of being uh, thrown into a hellhole by 1960. Now, uh, there there were instances wherein what we address in our film, the Dracula effect, you know, of becoming like one's oppressor. Well, I saw some instances of that in terms of other students that were there, because uh, a lot of students were there for different reasons. Some were there referred by the courts and or referred by uh, uh, child welfare or something like that. My experience in school was not like that of our character in uh, The Only Good Indian.
0: Your dad had nothing but good things to say about the same school that you attended?
5: Yeah, the larger part, he, uh, he you know, he was, uh, <laughs> that's where he learned how to uh, play music and uh, learned uh, a lot of uh, things about uh, life itself, you know, and he, uh, he had uh, good stories to tell. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's probably human nature that we do tell good stories rather than uh, the bad stories to our kids, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so it was, uh, for me, it was a big adventure, I wanted to go off someplace and uh, uh, see what I could do on my own. Uh, And I certainly found out uh, what it was like.
0: You know, it's really interesting to hear this perspective because if you read about them, you watch documentaries that have been done, certainly Kevin's film, and it's one of my favorite Kevin films, by the way, uh, Mm. you get no notion that anything good could possibly have come out of these boarding schools. So this is a... Uh, on the other for me.
5: hand, on the other hand, think about it. Even uh, even people in jail have good times, one way or the other. You know, I mean, things that were, are positive in, in in any kind of situation. Everybody's going to adapt one way or another.
0: So this story turned out to be not only a real education for me, but far more emotional than I could have imagined. I asked Haskell historian Eric Anderson about that.
4: I think we have a really complex story here in boarding schools. Um, certainly there are many negative features. Certainly there are many stories of, of you know, bitter and, and acrimonious kind of experiences. Uh, leading to some fracturing of familial relationships, leading to uh, assaults on culture that are lasting and, and that we still live with the legacy of. But there are also a lot of stories of success and of positive memories that come out of those uh, boarding school experiences. Um, and sometimes those things are held you know, in, the, in the hand or the mind or the experience of, of one individual. Um, I don't think it's as clean-cut as, you know, it was bad for some and good for others. Um, I think it's a real admixture in that way. And, and that makes it um, incredibly and kind of um, eternally complex. It's, it's my particular area of, of study, and it's one that, um, you know, I don't know that it will ever completely uh, unravel because it does have so many nuances to it.
0: Do you, and I'm going to wrap it up with this, Do you as a historian move away from that sort of cold, and I don't mean that pejoratively, but analytical way, and sometimes think to yourself, these boarding schools were horrid, that Native Americans would have been certainly more respected, but perhaps even better off without them? I'm wondering what's your emotional connection to this?
4: It's funny, I had very similar question asked of me yesterday, but almost in exactly the opposite way. Um, so, you know, it's hard not to be moved by one's emotions in looking at any historical period. This one is especially difficult um, when you look at a picture of um, Toddlers essentially holding up a sign that says Haskell Babies. You know, thinking about how horrible um, that, that must have been. Uh, you know, it, it, it's very hard to remove oneself from the emotionality of that. But we have to, I think, um, it's our responsibility as historians to look at the, the broadest possible um, Collection of evidence that leads us to the conclusion that hey, this is a really complex uh, period of time that, in many ways, we're still living with. Um, it's one that carries with it a lot of emotionally charged uh, reactions and responses, um, and it's one that we're not um, we're not all the way through figuring out yet. Um, you know, the analysis is part of it; the emotion is part of it. Um, the twain meets all the time and um, you know sometimes you have to walk away a little bit step back from it uh, because it can be just so horrible to think about what's, what what took place um, but here we are uh, and I'm, I'm reinforced and gladdened in this uh, nearly every day you know I see the amazing work that our students are doing here they may have had grandparents or great-grandparents who went to boarding schools who had horrible stories to tell who might have had more positive stories to tell here they are doing something that is very much in the vein and and tradition um, of what earlier generations did to get that education not forget who they are and to take the best parts you know of what can be offered and use that to move forward either as individuals or tribes or both
0: So I'm reminded, amateur historian that I am, that history is rarely heaven or hell, black or white. The truth is always in between, and not everyone's truth is the same. But if there is a lesson in all of this for me, it was persistence. Studi's character, Sam Franklin, said he was going to out-white man the white man. Many Native Americans endured being ripped from their families, beaten, abused for an education that eventually helped lead Haskell from a boarding school to a university— An institution to be proud of instead of one to be feared. An institution that celebrates Native American heritage rather than trying to kill it. And that's Archiver. The podcast is produced by Matt Hodapp in the studios of KCUR 89.3 in Kansas City and is made possible by a grant from the Kansas Humanities Council. Archiver is a co-production of Fountain City Frequency and Do Good Productions, where Nancy Seelen is executive producer. You can see pictures of Haskell and other Indian boarding schools at FountainCityFrequency.com. My thanks to Scott Richardson, Wes Studi, and Eric Anderson for their help in this episode. Hey, if you like the podcast, make sure to leave a review on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. For my favorite Kansas historian Virgil Dean, I'm Sam Zeff, and I'll see you on the next Archiver.